fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, then discuss the philosophical implications of causation in terms of forest fires with my friend Caitlin. Great. How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing okay. I know, it's it's weird to ask that when we just recorded You just this. asked me, actually, but <laughs> <laughs> it's because we're recording back-to-back. Yes. Now, there's no preliminaries for this episode, but please... If you like what we do, consider donating to us on patreon.com slash imperial news or leave a review. I guess I can say we should now be on Spotify. That's something I should promote. Uh, I finally put us on Spotify. So if you prefer Spotify, well, we're not everywhere. We're (laughs) omnipresent. There's some weird podcast app that only like one person uses that we're not. (laughs) I don't know. So we're on Spotify. If that is your preferred application, You can enjoy us there now. You're welcome. (laughs) And now, the Imperial Roundup! Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy! I'm a weirdo. Last episode, we only covered January 2nd, and we're going to start this time with January 3rd. And this was, of course, the uh, d- day that we got news that uh, Qasem Soleimani was assassinated. And Ezra is going to tell us immediately, as the episode begins, what he thinks about this. Hello, my rebels. Today, I'm trying and make sense of the battle between the U.S. military and the Iranian military and their terrorist auxiliaries. Trump's targeted decapitation of uh, a senior general over there. Um, I like it. Uh, I don't think it's the start of a war. I think it's a measured, strong response. I'll make my case for that, and I hope you listen. I'm going to listen to the case and probably hate it. (laughs) I just, like, immediately. Especially, like, in the context of Ezra's world, because we just covered the second in our last episode, and now we're on the third. He, again, did the show on the second. Now he's on the third. And um, immediately, like, they're talking about the uh, embassy and all this with Joel Pollack. We covered that on our last episode. And they were talking about how Trump is showing this strength and strategy and not being overly aggressive. And he's he's playing this game and he's doing it well. And now all of a sudden this thing happens. And rather than getting into the nuance, immediately when the show opens, he's like, I like it. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Uh, what a fucking idiot. Yeah. Ezra's main position is that Obama was weak and that Trump is showing strength. He then... Obama just killed less. Or was less braggy about how much he killed. Yeah, that's that's more appropriate. And Trump's full force, I like to kill people, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess the the one reason why he thinks Obama was weak because of the Iran... Uh, nuclear agreement. Oh, okay. Now, the the stupid thing is, is like Iran was complying with that agreement. We we had a chance where we quite possibly could have had a nuclear free Iran, which would be good for everyone. And most people think that this, because Iran has stated out loud that they're going to continue uh, enriching uranium and build towards a nuclear bomb. And of course, like why, when you had, you worked through this agreement with Obama and then immediately the Americans elect this other jag off who's then going to 
just abolish and scrap that deal for no reason and then assassinate your general? Do you like, do you think <laughs> you're probably going to be like, ah, I don't really want to work with those American people anymore. I feel, I would feel way more secure with the nuclear bomb. Uh, so again, sure. Trump, he's showing strength, but at like what cost, right? He then, because you know, this matters. He starts chastising various celebrities and politicians and news organizations that did not call Kassem a terrorist. That's his like big things. Like they didn't call him a terrorist. And then he moves on from that bullshit to then start talking about how Trudeau is pro Iran. And his argument is, I guess Trudeau's brother made some sort of film. Trudeau in, has a brother. Apparently, <laughs> maybe <laughs> brother-in-law. It could be brother-in-law. I'm not sure, but either way. How unfortunate. It's yeah. like your father's president, your, your brother's prime president, minister, yeah. your prime minister, sorry. Yeah. Ah, that's so bad. <laughs> that poor guy. But anyway, so this individual who I, I don't even know their name and I don't get, as you said it, I can't even remember it. I love it. But apparently he made this film that was in Iran and it's pro- the people of our Iran. So therefore, I, I have no clue what argument Ezra has been. Or, so therefore, he sucks and Iranians deserve to die. Is that what he's trying to make as an argument? Like, I don't understand what he's not, trying to say. Like, literally, like, you're going to, like, try to search for depth here. He says he's going to make his case. There's no case in this episode. No case is made. It's just basically, like, look how strong Trump is. Like, he's showing dominance. He's so big and strong. And look at Trump. And look at all these other, like, pussies. Like, not too. That's pretty much his argument. It's like that stupid especially considering how again the day before he was talking I'm about i'm still how amazed I, that he passed the bar the, oh ezra <laughs> yeah you know some i don't know maybe he didn't pass it well they need higher standards for those well, no, who i think you only school. need to like get 50 percent or 51 i know a lot of people who failed and had to take it over again we then they got less than 50 percent. but i think you only need to pass with like i know yeah yeah Anyways, so <laughs> he then goes on this weird rant about Trudeau, and you'll see what I mean by weird by me playing the clip. Uh, so where's Justin Trudeau now? <laughs> well, he's still in Costa Rica. Here's his schedule for today. He's now into his third week of vacation there. Seriously, who takes a three-week vacation? What world leader, at least, in the middle of a crisis, one of many crises? Well, Trudeau does, of course. Our media couldn't care less. They don't dare to ask about his absence. They'll lose their bailout money if they do. We have to rely on people on the streets of Costa Rica to tweet pictures of a haggard-looking Trudeau buying booze or whatever he was doing there. Who knows? Marijuana? Maybe, I don't know. We know he loved the stuff. He still hasn't poked his head up, even though the world is on the verge of, what, war maybe? I don't know. Hundreds of Canadian soldiers are in Iraq right now. Um, but he did send out his foreign minister with a statement, this guy. Trudeau couldn't be bothered to shave and put on a suit. He's probably stoned. I'm not even being mean. We know he's a lifelong marijuana user and he's deep into a three-week vacation. Two jabs at marijuana use there. Man, he's just... And, like, I'm thinking, is it because he has a beard? It's like... <laughs> he's a transformed man. <laughs> no, man. Oh, my God. He's, this is the new Justin. He's showing off his... He went to Costa Rica, found himself a little, and this is... This and he is describes him as haggard? I mean, say what you want about Trudeau. Him having a beard doesn't make him look like he's haggard. It's trim. I have a haggardy beard. This, this, this is a haggard beard. And I don't even smoke marijuana. At least not now. 
But notice uh, how earlier on in the clip I played her. Uh, Ezra said he doesn't think this will lead to war, and now he's criticizing Trudeau for not like coming back from his vacation because it could mean war. So it's like, what is it, buddy? <laughs> is it? Does this mean war or does it not mean war? Like, make up your own fucking mind here. That's whatever fits for him in that time period. Well, of course, it's like dunking on Trudeau. So you need to make the point against Trudeau. Yeah. Yet he clearly does not think this is going to lead to war. I mean, he says that clearly throughout the episode. But uh, that's that's his take on this whole thing. It wasn't long. He just basically. Uh, he gets mad at Trudeau's minister because he thinks that Trudeau's minister plays this both sides thing when really he should be calling out the terrorist Kassam. That's the real enemy here. You need to be calling it a terrorist. So Trudeau is weak because the foreign minister said both sides. It's pretty much where, where Ezra is at. Now, I don't think that's a case. He says it's a case and that we'll be convinced by the end once we listen to him. But uh, well, how convinced are you? Are you? No, not at all. <laughs> Ezra tried. <laughs> then, so we go to the interview segment, and this this is kind of more interesting. More interesting in that there's more substance to what's going on here. So he begins by talking about an individual named Andy No. And oh. I don't know if you're familiar with Andy I no. very much yeah. am. <laughs> he plays footage of when Andy was milkshaked <laughs> and kicked in Portland, and he talks about it, so we're going to play that clip. Antifa extremism. Now, I don't like to call Antifa by that name. It stands for anti-fascism. But of course, like most perverse things, its name is opposite of what it is. Like the Human Rights Commission is against human rights. Antifa are actually fascists themselves. And the reason I mention this is because when Andy No went to cover an Antifa protest in his home city of Portland, he was brutally and physically attacked. You can see him being swarmed by fascists, punched, kicked. That's him right there. He was actually wounded. That was cement, and they, they wouldn't let up. Before we get into some That's of the some things that are news. said there, it is old news, so it's interesting that he's playing this video and talking about it now, and I'll get into why he is. But I, I just love that he brought up the Human Rights Commissions, which is, for one, it was kind of like out of context, like a weird analogy, but it also shows that we're covering the book Shakedown, which is his book on why the Human Rights Commissions are terrible. And it's interesting how this narrative has continued to exist for over 10 years in his like narrative, right? That there are these like things that don't actually promote human rights and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Uh, just interesting that that got brought up in that segment. The other thing is, yeah, you're right. This is old news. It happened back in June. <laughs> and uh, It feels even older than that, but yeah. And the stupid thing that he says in that moment is the weird thing about cement at the end. Did you catch that? Yeah. And he says it so quick and like weird. He's like, and like that was cement. And then he starts talking about something else. And it's weird to even bring that up because... The comment that the milkshakes contain cement was released by the police in Portland at the time of this uh, attack, basically. Uh, they just sent out a tweet saying that that was the case, and it provided no evidence that it was the case. And in fact, no evidence has come out that that's the case, and they've like walked back that this was the case. But it's one of those things that now that has perpetuated on all the right no, media. No, I know. But actually, for a long time, I thought they actually used quick-dry cement yeah. And hit him with that instead of a milkshake because I just saw it all over Twitter. Right. 
that this this guy got hit by cement and not a milkshake, an actual. Which is dumb because it doesn't even make sense for why that would do anything more than what like the milkshakes did. Like people are like, it could cause corrosion. It's like, well, like I've worked with it can so, like it's corrosive. Okay. Uh, like most uh, concrete products are. Okay. But it's. It's clear that he just didn't like let it sit on his face to the point where it's like <laughs> you know what I mean face, like yeah. you, like this takes time for it to have like an effect to actually cause some serious harm. So it's like why would uh, these vegan hippies mixing vegan milkshakes <laughs> go through the effort to like get concrete and like mix makes no absolutely no sense. Uh, and there's no evidence that this is the case in the end, anyways. So it's weird that like. It was just weird to me, and I like maybe I'm reading too much into it. But he like brought it up, but did it fast, and kind of like went on, which just struck me as bizarre. But maybe there's a good visual reason why that happened in the video that I that I missed it. Like maybe he wanted to catch all the details and was like trying to hurry up or something. Mm. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, the reason why Ezra is talking about this, even though this happened back in June, is that uh, U- the University of British Columbia canceled a speaking event, uh, which Andy No was supposed to be involved in. Okay. And that was supposed to happen uh, coming up on January 29th. So it hasn't happened yet. And it's since been canceled by UBC. Now, Andy is legally fighting this cancellation. And Ezra then has on Andy's lawyer, John Carpe, who is representing uh, Andy. But he's also, for those who don't know, he's representing the parents we talked about two episodes ago. That was the episode where Barbara Kay was on talking about these parents who are mad about the teacher who taught them that women aren't real. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> so he's representing that family. But Carpe has been on before. He's the founder of the Justice Center for Constitutional uh, Freedoms, which is an organization that has close ties with the rebel and he's on frequently. And I think Ezra used to be involved with the organization and people that are around are all involved in it. So Lindsay Shepard, all that fun stuff. Fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Ezra and John comment on knows, knows, uh, Andy knows calm demeanor and then point out that he's also Vietnamese and gay. And so because of these two things, he's calm and he's Vietnamese and gay. Therefore he can't do anything bad and he should be loved by the left. He's Vietnamese and he's gay. Why doesn't the left love him? It must because it's, it's just because he doesn't like Antifa. That's the only reason. It's the only reason the left hates him. Now, <laughs> for those who don't know, Andy No initially received attention for being fired from his student newspaper at Portland State University when he paraphrased a Muslim speaker on a panel in a way that manipulated what they said. Yeah. And he got it public, like he sent it to Breitbart. Breitbart published an article. Anyways, it was a whole thing. Since then, No has actively doxxed anti-fascist activists. He's also exposed journalists to violent threats from neo-Nazis, especially Jewish journalists. And all of this is context which led to the milkshake incident that happened back in June. Now, what has happened since then is that in August, a video was released of No hanging out with members of a far-right group in Portland called Patriot 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 Prayer while they were planning to use violence against left-wing activists. At the time of the event, No reported that Antifa was to blame for the violence, but it is clear in the video that was released in August. Uh, So this event itself took place in May, I think it was May 1st, and basically you had the Patriot Prayer Group 
and they're meeting somewhere else and Noah's present with them. And they're all joking about, we're going to go to, uh, I think it's called Cedar Riot. And Cedar Riot is a bar, a cider riot. Maybe it's cider riot. That makes a lot more sense because they're selling ciders at this establishment. <laughs> and that's where the leftists are currently hanging out. And this guy named Ben, we don't know what his real name is. He was a plant with Patriot Prayer and basically filmed all this happening while they're joking about going to the bar to beat up the anti-fascists and the leftists that were hanging out at this bar. And so Ben ends up calling the leftists and warning them that they're coming. But And so this whole thing plays out. So, But anyways, this video footage came out in August. And in the video footage, you can see No laughing and smiling and hearing all this. And he didn't report on any of it. And in fact, his reporting suggested that Antifa was the cause of the violence. Yeah. Now, one of the things that happened at this, uh, well, for one, because of the footage, thankfully, five members of Patriot Prayer, including their leader, Joey Gibson, uh, are being uh, charged with a felony for starting a riot. And they lost. So uh, on top of that, the bar itself is suing them for starting a riot at their bar. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, the, the members were trying to appeal it or get it dismissed. And just recently, back in November, the lawsuit uh, will continue. They, they basically ruled that they're not going to dismiss it. And it's possibly going to cost them a million dollars. So that's fun. Now, the other thing that happened during this event was that a woman who was a leftist activist was knocked on the head by a Patriot prayer member with a baton, and it knocked her unco- unconscious and caused her vertebrae to fracture. So again, Noah was with them when they were planning this and just smiled and laughed. Yeah. And meanwhile, these thugs went to this establishment and injured a woman (laughs) with a baton. Yeah. So it just, it's super annoying to like have Carpe on and Ezra just sit there talking about, he's Vietnamese and he's calm and he's gay. He's just the super nice guy. How can anyone hate him and not cover any of this detail? Yeah. And that's it. That was their whole segment. They don't get to any of the details. They're just like, Oh my God, how dare UBC deny him his right to speak on a college campus in Canada. Well, at least it's not in ter- Ontario, because he probably would be coming and speaking on this. That's the case. <laughs> uh, uh, fuck that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, actually, well, well, I wanted to bring this up on the earlier point, which is that he complained about Trudeau taking the two-week vacation. Ford took a fucking several-month vacation during the election. So Five like months. yeah, Five so that he wouldn't months. interrupt the uh, Andrew Shears campaign. Yeah, yeah. yeah. federal Jesus election. Christ. Yep. Five months. Five whole <laughs> fucking months. So that was uh, the third, and we're now. That was the Friday, so we're now on the sixth, January sixth, and Ezra is super happy about Ricky Gervais's performance oh, at the Golden Globes, and. Ezra begins by stating that actors and musicians, they just read lines that other people write for them. So therefore, they should not have their own political opinions. Because they're just dumb. Any dumb schmuck can just read lines on a paper. (laughs) They can't form their own opinions, Caitlin. Anyways, that is is literally his argument. I, I was just like, okay, sure. I mean, I have a 
degree in theater, and I'm still capable of critical thought, I think. On the last episode, Ezra brings up Rose McGowan, and I didn't talk about it Mm -hmm. because he just says some, like, really insensitive stuff about her, uh, having to do with her tweeting about the Iran conflict. Okay. And so I was just like, I don't need to cover Ezra just being a misogynist piece of shit. But then I listen to this episode, and he says something that is way worse, and that I think worth highlighting. Although I do have to say, like, I don't know, it rubbed me really wrong that I want to say, like, kind of a content warning, but, like, this is kind of disgusting, what he says about Rose McGowan. As I said the other day, I have pity for Rose McGowan. She was a rape victim of Harvey Weinstein, though it seems like she accepted that rape as the entry fee to be a Hollywood starlet. I'm on her side in that whole thing, of course, but I note that plenty, maybe hundreds of Hollywood starlets were only too happy to make that same deal to get ahead of every other would-be starlet in a starlet-full city. Just even saying out loud that she accepted her rate as, like, the price of admission into Hollywood is just fucking disgusting. And to then say that that's... uh, there's just so many starlets well, that they all have to do it. Yeah, well, there's almost this comment about that it was almost consensual, right? In order for her to accept it, it needs to be consensual, and it wouldn't be rape if it if it was consensual, and that's that's the problem. It's not like he went to her and said, if you let me have sex with you, I'll give you fame. It was like he raped her. And she's coming forward because a guy raped her and committed a crime against her. So it, his point's just not even logical because no. if she was conscious of that and there was some sort of deal and she accepted that deal, then it's consensual sex. I mean, I when I first heard it, I thought the same thing that that you're thinking, which is like, how can one... Like, if if you're accepting of the sexual thing that's occurring yeah then in some sense there is consent there i mean there could be also this power play where you feel intimidated or coerced into and that's not consensual as well but it's the way he's framing it in this instance where it's almost like she wanted it like she she actually like this is what she was looking for that's especially indicative with the second half of what he says there about like this is just what women do in the industry it's kind of what he's saying yeah and, like, that to me is showing that, ah, it's just an accepted thing that women do. I mean, he says he's on her side, but it's like... No, you're not. Like, what the fuck does that mean in the context of what you just said? Right? Because I don't think Rose McGowan is saying is like... It's like when people say no offense and then say something that's, like, super fucking offensive. Yeah. And they think that's going to save them. You can't just say, I agree with her, but, you know, she should have kept her legs shut. Like, right. that's what he's trying to get at. And he's trying to slut shame her for something that wasn't even her choice. That's fucking horrible. And I will say, so the thing that I didn't play, and, like, maybe I should have or should, maybe I'll splice it in. But basically, he says that, she. he basically says that Rose McGowan's, like, opinion on Iran is moot because she's mentally ill because she got raped. Which is, like, again, you're a fucking monster. <laughs> For one, like, you probably have no right to even talk about what these women went through. And I feel kind of gross bringing it up now other than the fact that I need to call attention to your bullshit here. Yeah. But, like, even trying to dismiss her as mentally ill 
is super offensive. It is. Yeah. And especially because, like, no doubt she probably has suffered trauma because of this. But merely the act of suffering trauma because you were sexually abused or raped or assaulted or harassed doesn't mean that, therefore, you, you're you unable to have critical thoughts or form an opinion. Or that mentally ill people can't also right. be critical. Like, they're not intelligent. Like the, It's not like you have a developmental disability. You have an ability to think about things. People with mental health illness are professions, right? They're in the they're in professions. They're people with mental illness who are in school right now. There are people with mental illnesses that do an array of different occupations that require some sort of critical thinking. So that's just I don't, Yeah. I don't know. Or it's almost Even like it's the same dismissal of that he does with Greta all the time, that somehow the fact that she has Asperger's means that like we can just ignore everything that she says. But yeah, I know. Uh, it's so stupid. But it's also like with this case, it's also like women are resilient as well. And like there's this kind of framing around sexual assault with women that they're supposed to be broken and like their their world's kind of collapsed and they're going to suffer for the rest of their lives. And, you know, once you're raped, that's it. That's the end of your life. Sorry. Like enjoy suffering with, yeah. you know, reliving the experience when it's just. It doesn't really happen like that. Of course, there's trauma and of course, there's things to work through. But that doesn't mean you can't accomplish things. That doesn't mean you can't. I'm not saying completely move past it and forget about it. But you can have resiliency in your life and you can go do other things. There can be normalcy again in your everyday life. Yeah. 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 And who says that she hasn't been seeing a therapist and working on herself and it's none of his fucking business. It's not his business. Yeah. And it's not <laughs> yeah. for him to call whether she's mentally ill or not. He's not a professional in any regards. Yeah. So that's that's Ezra being really super fucking shitty there. And uh, it doesn't get any better. So Ezra starts playing a clip of Ricky Gervais. And this is the first clip of Ricky Gervais that he plays. And in this clip, Gervais is talking about how Kevin Hart was kicked from hosting the Oscars for his offensive tweets. I mean, Kevin Hart was fired from the Oscars because of some offensive tweets. Hello. That's true. Kevin Hart, uh, he's a black comedian, a very, very funny, I think, but each to his own. But literally a decade ago, or even longer ago in some cases, he made some tweets that were politically incorrect. Like one tweet that said, yo, if my son comes home and tries to play with my daughter's dollhouse, I'm going to break it over his head and say in my voice, stop, that's gay. Um, okay, well, that, that sort of would be gay. He's on a row this week, eh? He's got some sexism, <laughs> imperialism, racism. Homophobia. Uh, homophobia now. He's just, you know, like, ableist too, but... Like he, so think about what just happened there. He said that it's, what Gervais is saying is like, I'm, I'm also offensive and you got rid of him for some offensive tweets. It's not really funny though when you think about like why Hart was denied and also consider what the tweets people are mad about that Gervais said which were mostly transphobic and we don't need to go into that there's plenty of articles you can go and read them he's had a lot of uh not good tweets let's just say so he makes this point but then for like if you listen to what Hart said he's advocating I mean, okay, it's in the context of a joke, but what he says is he's advocating abusing his son because he thinks that his son might be gay for playing with a dollhouse. And rather than Ezra address any of the content, 
Ezra goes, well, yeah, playing with a dollhouse is kind of gay. You Like, you don't think you can say, like, a few words about, like, maybe don't abuse your children because of their sexuality? No, I think he would be one of those people who are like, oh, we can't even hit kids anymore. What happened to the good old days when a kid's acting out? You know, that kind of rhetoric. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he'd be on board with that. The funny thing is, so I, I got in a huge Facebook spat with people for pointing out my disapproval of Gervais before I even knew that Ezra was going to talk about this. And I actually don't have much to say about Gervais and Ezra's coverage. It was just like Ezra's, the stupid shit that Ezra said in between was like far worse than anything occurs in this whole fucking thing. Ezra, the, so basically Ezra's coverage of this is he just plays a bunch of clips. And they're all the clips that everyone has seen about, like, Gervais telling people that they shouldn't... When you come up and give your speeches, like, don't say anything political. And he just goes through all of that and plays it and basically just responds by going, Yeah, I agree. Isn't that funny? Like, he did the same thing when Kanye appeared on uh, that one dude's show that I can't remember. But he just played the clips and then responded to them. So I don't like have like tons to say about yeah. that. The only other interesting thing is that during the part where Gervais says that some of uh so so what Gervais says about the giving political speeches is he makes this offhanded comment that some of the people in the audience have had less school than Greta, so we don't need to hear your political speech. Mm-hmm. And Ezra interprets that as Gervais uh, getting a dig on Greta. And he's, he, and then Ezra laments that, like, no one else would do that in Hollywood. But I was like, the butt of that joke isn't Greta. No. The butt of the joke is the other people in the room who have less of an education than her. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's saying that you don't even have a high school education because she's a 16-year-old girl. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know, Ezra. So I guess, like, we can pause there and just, like... If you have thoughts on the whole Gervais thing. Well, my general thoughts are kind of mixed. So I think he does say things that are problematic. I mean, he's definitely not as horrible as some other comedians are. But I do think some of his stuff isn't great. I do think some of his comments are very not well informed. Um, I liked a lot of his earlier stuff. I don't like him now. There seems to be a real divide for me. Like there's some, and it feels like it's been like maybe the past four years, where like I remember I used to love his stand up when he was just doing like one of my favorite things was, was him talking about Noah's Ark and just showing pictures on the wall and talking about the animals talking to each other and stuff like that, and it was like part of that is fun because he's just he's he's not attacking anyone. Yeah, <laughs> you no. know. I mean, that's like a lot of people like Dave Chappelle. And I know a lot of people in the black community like love his stuff and he's seen as like this great comedian that, you know, broke through and I think he's fucking horrible, to be honest. Um, and I'd watch his stuff with friends and he just says really horrible things about women, like all the time. Like just doesn't stop. I mean, he also makes horrible comments about trans people as well as gay people. Yeah. But like some of the comments he said in some of his stand up uh comedy has just been brutal like i think one time he was talking about made this horrible joke about like who's more oppressed and it's like don't try to get into an argument with a jew if you're a black person because you guys just go back and forth of whose ancestors had it the worst but he's just like but you women you need to shut up about your problems you've never had any issues and he bursts out loud and it's kind of like no one in the audience laughed because 
because it was like, what? Like, it was just yeah. so misinformed. And sorry, I'm ranting on. But, like, Ricky Javaris, I think, has done some good things, just like how Dave Chappelle has said, did some really good things for certain communities, right? But I also think he makes terrible jokes just like that. Like, And the thing that frustrates me is, like, I hate this whole notion of, it's just a joke. Because, like, it isn't. Like, there's way... There's people who make really funny humor that I never feel like they're punching down at people. Like, why do you need to, like, make a joke about trans people? To be honest, I just think that joke is not very well done anyways. Like, it's like they try to be provocative by bringing up a sensitive topic, but the joke's not funny in itself. But their defense is like, I'm just, you know, I'm taking risks and I'm being edgy. Isn't it funny? Like, I'm just joking. No, it's not funny. If If you could, like somehow blind yourself from the transphobia or the sexism or the racism in a lot of these jokes. Yeah. They're still not funny. Like they're just the substance of the joke is just not good. And I don't know. Like I, I find comedy, stand up comedy hasn't been even like really left wing comedy. I don't I don't really enjoy comedy that much. I just think some of it's it's not well done. I feel like old comedians are a lot better than newer comedians that have Yeah, been. I'm still going to hang my hat on George Carlin being the best. But even after the egg is fertilized, it's still six or seven days before it reaches the uterus and pregnancy begins. And not every egg makes it that far. 80% of a woman's fertilized eggs are rinsed and flushed out of her body once a month during those delightful few days she has. <laughs> They wind up on sanitary napkins, and yet they are fertilized eggs. So basically, what these anti-abortion people are telling us is that any woman who's had more than one period is a serial killer. <laughs> Consistency. Consistency. It's weird, like, there's a part of some people that, like, really latch on to certain cultural things, like certain bands or movies and, like, actors, and therefore it becomes, like, a slight against their own personal identity oh, when you, like, 100%. criticize something. You know what that reminds me of? And, like, you know, the whole... We were just talking about cancel culture, but even I loved his stuff beforehand, but then when he did that, I was like, fucking cancel him. <laughs> yeah. just, like, just, was, Shoot him into the sun! Yeah, Aziz sorry. Yeah. And you know what I'm talking about with that woman's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I just... I loved his um, Netflix show, Master of None. I thought okay. it was excellently executed. Um, he also had, like, a book that I read that was pretty good. And then it came out, the scandal of him. It wasn't, like, a sexual assault, but it wasn't completely consensual. And I understand those experiences of where you go on a date with a guy and you don't really want to do something, but the guy just keeps pressuring you or like puts you in a situation where you feel obligated to do stuff that you might not feel comfortable with. And it's like he couldn't understand what he did was wrong. And then he gave this like half assed apology for it and then did a stand up all about it, too, about how he's like, I learned what consent was, guys. And I learned that you have to ask to touch boobies. Ha ha. Like, I was like, you're you're done. I'm done with you. 
And I mentioned this because you just mentioned the point of people can't get over it. I can't count how many guys have told me that was ridiculous. That happens. That's normal. That's just dating culture. That girl needed to get over it. That girl's looking for money. This is ridiculous. Feminism has gone too far. And I, as a woman who've experienced that exact situation with some of the guys that even made that criticism, (laughs) was just baffled that they couldn't see why that was wrong. And I don't understand. And women too. Women, I talk to women and they're like, oh, he's done so much for the uh, South Asian community. We we can't criticize him because he's like, you know, really represented us really well. And you're right. They just can't shake it. They don't want to get over it. And it's kind of problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what to say about it, but it's kind of like we need to let go of this kind of like hero worship. Like, I don't know if I've said this before on the show. I feel like I might have. But one of my favorite bands growing up, um, they're called Brand New. And it came out that the lead singer had a, was video chatting with women who were below the age of consent and masturbated to them like over the webcam. And it immediately made me go, I don't want to listen to his music anymore. You know what I mean? Like, the, and to me, it wasn't. It didn't feel like a loss. It felt like an annoying thing, which is like, I paid money to go see this guy perform live and like other things like that. And it puts you in a place of like, I wish I didn't give this person money while he was predating on these women. But like, I don't feel any loss to say, fuck it. I can let go of that. I don't need that. I don't need that culture anymore. I don't need it to to be attached to my identity at all. It can go. It can be free. And uh, I don't care to ever listen to his music ever again. Yeah. It's that simple. Like, I don't know why people need to, like, hold on to these things. I don't know either. So anyways, we can move on from Ricky Gervais. And I hope to never hear about him ever again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you will. Yeah. So Ezra, for the interview segment of this portion of the show, he interviews someone named Daniel Pipes. I guess he's not bad because there's pipes in the house. So (laughs) (laughs) that was a horrible joke. So he, he's actually really terrible. So he's, he's the founder of a think tank called the Middle East Forum. And basically Pipes is a far-right Islamophobe who was described by Christopher Hitchens as a propagandist, which is interesting. So even though Daniel Pipes and Christopher Hitchens were both in agreement uh, about the war in Iraq and also both are critical of the religion of Islam, Daniel Pipes went too far for Christopher Hitchens <laughs> in context in which he wrote pieces being like, yeah, don't listen to this guy. He's crazy. He was also uh, listed as an anti-Islamist, uh, anti-Muslim extremist by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And this this part is really interesting because the right always plays this. We're pro-free speech. We're this pro-free speech thing. Daniel Pipes created a website called Campus Watch that encouraged students to accumulate information on professors that were critical of Israel and then posted on it online and uh, basically sent people to intimidate them and, and harass them. So, That's not good. No. Free speech, everybody. Surprisingly, uh, nothing really of importance was brought up in this interview. Basically, Ezra just says a bunch of stuff about uh, Soleimani and what's happening in Iran, and Pipes just nods in agreement. The only pushback that Ezra received 
was that Ezra was descri- I think I mentioned this in this last episode was that Ezra's trying to come up with some grand st- strategy for Trump and Pipes just basically insists that there is no Trump doctrine that basically Trump is a chaotic man who runs on impulse and there is no strategy here and I thought that was interesting to hear but again it, it goes in one ear and out the other like Ezra, of course, yeah. <laughs> Ezra doesn't care to hear that right Pipes also suggests that the current conflict in Iran won't be remembered a year from now and that it's all going to die down. So who knows? It looks like he might be right. Well, at least I think it will be remembered a year from now, but I don't think it's going to end up in war as much as maybe people were rightfully uh, worried that it would when it when it happened. So that was the sixth. We're now on to the seventh. And Ezra is talking about the Australian fires. Oh. And, that was going to happen. Yeah. Waiting for it. Well, I mean, he, he mentioned it briefly before with the one argument about, like, he started going through, like, lighting matches and, like, <laughs> all the things that could start a fire that is not global warming. And then <laughs> and we're going to get into the same argument, but basically at different levels. So he begins by referencing somebody named Bjorn Lumberg. Uh, claiming that climate-related deaths were higher in the past. And like, there might be some truth to this in the sense of, like, smog and pollution and, like, smoke and all this stuff causing uh, damage. And also, like, people not living in houses, maybe. <laughs> like, other things. So, like, there could be, like, sure, maybe in the past there was more climate-related deaths. But the thing is, like, I didn't really care to look into it because Bjorn is an asshole and no one should listen to anything that he says. <laughs> And I'm not just saying this to to dismiss him out of hand. If you're really curious, the Behind the Bastards podcast did a whole episode on him. And he's not a good guy. And he's been denying global warming for years in the face of all the scientists that say that he's full of shit. He's not a scientist and he just makes shit up. So mm, nice. So fuck him. <laughs> Ezra then, after making this point about Bjorn Lumberg, moves on to focus on previous wildfires. So he starts talking about this fire called the Black Dragon Fire in China which occurred in the 1980s. And the fire mostly spread due to incompetence. So I think like the the Russians, because it was on the border of Russia and China, and the Russians were kind of like, we'll just let it burn out. It's not a big deal or whatever. But then it ended up like taking over and just doing a lot of damage. And uh, I think uh, a lot of people died because of it. No, no. Yeah. So anyways, it was a fire due to incompetence. Sure. Or at least it spread due to incompetence. He also mentions this Indonesian fire, which occurred in 1997, which is likely the largest wildfire in human history. And he says that we don't remember it because it wasn't blamed on the West. And I don't think that's the reason why no one remembers it. I mean, there's a lot of things to remember in the world, like the largest forest fire. Do we need to remember that? I don't know. Uh, But not only that, like it kind of was the fault of the west <laughs> or at least not solely but the fire itself was caused by deforestation which was largely supported by the chinese the uk and the united states and their business interests in the country of like uh removing land for for palm olive our palm oil uh, farming and so on so yeah uh, it was capitalism that did it <laughs> yeah yeah uh but anyways, I think his main point is to go, look, here's an example of a couple of fires that aren't directly related with climate change. 
therefore a fire that's related to climate change is impossible. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't make that connection, but it's like, why else are you bringing this up other than to try to dismiss what's happening in Australia as somehow not being related to climate change? Ezra then plays a clip of an Australian politician talking about why or the ways to like mitigate the fires. Like you gotta do like little burns and like clear some of the brush. And some of that's true. Like I don't wanna I, I don't even really care to figure out who this politician was. Like I know some of it is true. And in the context of the clip, it doesn't even sound like he's making a point that the current fires is because management wasn't done properly okay. or like whatever. Like it was just a weird sort of like out of context clip to play. Uh and he says that the reason why people aren't talking about that is be so this is Ezra. Ezra is saying the reason pe why people aren't talking about these other ways to mitigate the fires is because they're not as sexy as talking about global warming. Like global warming is really sexy. And he moves from going like from that to playing a clip of Jennifer Aniston at the Golden Globes. And Aniston says that the fires were based in climate change. Like that's her like actual words, based in climate change. And this is like the frequent issue with how Ezra talks about this, which is he keeps talking about it as if people are saying that climate change is the immediate cause of the fire. Yeah. But that isn't <laughs> at all what people are saying, right? The point is that climate change is creating conditions which extend the burning season and increase the fire intensity. Yeah. So even though global warming uh, didn't light the match, it is making these fires worse. That is the argument. That he's just not even engaging with whatsoever. He then criticizes Canadian politicians talking about how Australia got rid of the carbon tax. And he argues, uh, this, so <laughs> he responds to this by going, well, would the carbon tax have stopped the fires? And like, again, <laughs> no one is saying that the forest fires will just magically go away or that them going away is preferable. The point is we need to mitigate their destructiveness by considering how climate will make this worse. Right? Yeah. So the reason why you want uh, a carbon tax is possibly so that you can use the revenue to cut uh, carbon emissions and uh, also so deter on. people then, from yeah yeah use wasting energy. So then Ezra promotes this conspiracy theory that there were 200 arsonists in Australia. I don't know if you've come across this news on social media. Yeah. I started seeing it uh, pop up a bunch where people are going, uh, there's been 200 arsonists arrested in Australia and stuff like this. Now, most of the people on this list were investigated before the bushfire season and bear no relationship to the current fires. So even though like 200 people, it really wasn't that much. In fact, around 40 were investigated during the bushfire season. But this number actually does not uh, reflect like actual arson events. It's people of interest who were investigated for potential arson, right? You're going to investigate people. And so several of them were uh found to have committed actual acts of arson but there's no evidence that the current fires that we're all talking about that are causing the destruction that they're doing were the result of deliberate arson but even if they were <laughs> the result of deliberate arson has absolutely nothing to do with drought or the extending of the the burn season so like none of like the reason to, the basically the reason to bring this up is to somehow attach arson to these fires to somehow discredit it but that's fucking stupid. <laughs> like it makes absolutely no sense. And the like we're we're stats people here. Yep. 
if you have a number like, okay, there's 200 arson arsonists this season, does that tell you anything about like whether arsonists are like involved in making the scenario worse? Like what other, what other information would you need to draw? You would need to control for other factors because that would be a spurious relationship where there's intervening effects. I mean, there's that, but I'm, I'm just talking about like in the numbers themselves. Like my, my thought is, wouldn't it be better to have like the previous year's numbers of arsonists and the previous years? Oh, and so like say, this. say there was 200 arsonists last year, but there wasn't as bad forest fires. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, well, that's true. No, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. It's just, there's a lot of other effects, right? So you don't actually know. So the number is actually representative of previous seasons and yeah. you didn't have uh, as severe a forest fire. So there's like, there's absolutely no relationship between the fact that there are these many arsonist arrests and the fact that these forest fires are existing at the severity that they're currently existing. So Ezra then at the end of this episode interviews Andrew Lawton, our London friend about the conservative again. party. <laughs> yeah, again, uh, it's basically about the conservative party uh, leadership race. And it's mostly inside baseball stuff. And I don't really care to talk about it. And they're like talking about like how much money people have and whether they qualify to run all this stupid shit. But at one point, Andrew Lawton says the party needs someone with high energy. And Ezra says this in response. I think you're right. Uh, Donald Trump has incredible energy. I mean, he's it's hard to believe that uh, he's in his 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he does. I mean, Justin Trudeau just got back from a 16 day vacation and he's taking two more private days. Um, I don't think Trump has taken more than one day off since he's been president. Uh, he works at all hours. I mean, sure, he has visits at his own golf club and maybe plays the odd round. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know what this that was about. Trump's high energy. I mean, he doesn't even play golf. I don't understand. Well, if you want to understand, like, this is a big talking point for them like the whole thing with the golf thing, because one of the major criticisms they had of Obama was like how often he would play golf. And it was just like, Oh my God, shouldn't he be doing like actual work? But here he is wasting the taxpayers money going to play a big round of golf. So there is a website that calculates the number of times that Trump has golfed during his presidency. And it's called trumpgolfcount.com. So far, they tabulate that he has visited golf clubs 242 times during his presidency and that there's evidence of him playing a round of golf 112 uh, times during these 242 visits. So it could be bigger than that, but we only have evidence of the 112 games. These games tend to last more than six hours, so he's on the, the course for a long time and have cost the taxpayers roughly $120 million uh, to do this. What? That's insane. Yep. So Trump, who criticized Obama's golfing, has actually spent way more time golfing during his presidency. But historically, which I found interesting, is that his playing is actually less golf than uh, Dwight Eisenhower and Woodrow Wilson. So those two presidents golfed a shit. <laughs> but still, Trump has golfed way, way more than Obama. Uh, so it's just fucking stupid that Ezra's like, I mean, he, he gets in the odd game, but like he's working all the time, never takes breaks. Never takes a single break. He's working at all hours. Like, right. they live in a dream world. Like, oh, I know. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. And it's like, like you get into all these, like, psychoanalysis stuff. Like, does he know he's lying? Does the audience know he's lying? Like, what are... Because clearly no one can believe... Eh, it's, just a, it's just a few games. 
Anyways, so the interview ends with them saying that the leader needs to focus on immigration. That's their biggest thing. What the conservatives need is a leader who focuses on immigration. We also learned that Lawton is starting his own podcast, which could be good for us, because when they eventually shut down Ezra, we now have somewhere else to cover. So, you know. Hey, fun stuff. <laughs> so, if it's not Ezra, Andrew, Andrew Lawton, close to home, too. Yeah. I, I don't know if he, he's in town anymore, but who knows? Either way, we'll, we'll, uh, we have options. <laughs> so, to, to finish off here, we're on the 8th. Ezra again wants to focus on the conservative leadership election. And he begins by talking about Bernie Sanders. And he actually praises him for his ability to raise a lot of grassroots campaign donations. And Ezra even promotes the idea that uh, he would have beat Trump. And I was, I was kind of taken aback by that. And he doesn't really like go on about it. But I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> So after doing the rundown of a bunch of candidates, Ezra seems to be like leaning towards Pierre Polyver as his top choice of being the leadership uh, candidate. And I actually don't know like a ton about Pierre. So uh, something to look forward to, because I guess they're going to talk about it a lot. Uh, but what Ezra wants to do at the beginning of the show, his main focus on talking about the leadership race is because he wants to call out Jean Charest. Now, he was the premier of Quebec uh, with the Liberal Party in in uh so the premier of quebec for the liberal party and he now wants to run as the leadership of the conservative party and ezra's argument is that really jean charret is secretly in bed with the chinese communists what <laughs> and the reason is because so jean charret i guess he's uh he has financial uh, attachments to huawei and that's pretty much the thing i think he's on one of the boards or something like that so Anyways, because my thing is, like, I don't like Jean Charest, and he is corrupt and has done some corrupt stuff. So it's like, it wouldn't surprise me that being on the board of Huawei or working with Huawei, there's probably some corrupt dealing going on there. But, like, all Ezra wants to point out here is not that, like, working with big businesses are bad, but that they're the Chinese communists. That's, like, the whole thing. Boring snore, but, again, like, more Chinese xenophobia. Yeah, yeah. And then we get Joel again. He's he's on the show again. He's on all the fucking time. Yep, and they're gonna talk about Just the. Put him on the show permanently, guys. <laughs> Come on. This, the the Infowars Breitbart and like Rebel all like join like some. I can see that happening, yeah, yeah. which is a little scary, but they just are like, wow, oh, we're all fucking getting deplatformed. Let's just join together and make a super right wing. Yeah. <laughs> like... uh, but this, th there was nothing to say here. It's basically. You know, you compare it to, again, what Joel was saying in our last episode, which was that, like, Trump is, like, master strategic planner dude. And, again, he's saying the exact same stuff here, that Trump is, like, he's so, like, smooth in how he dealt with that. And he's, like, he's working fourth dimensional chest and just, like, working it all out. And this was all planned. And, like, it's great. And he's such a good leader. Didn't Don't you know he wrote the art of making the deal? Like, he's so good. Like, that's the whole fucking thing. And, uh... There was no phone ding this time. And it's because Joel was in the airport boarding an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so uh, typical. But that's it. That's all that we have to cover.
went to a protest. Yes, we did. This evening. I'm still warming up from it. <laughs> still? Still. Because oh, your not. house is kind of cold. That's all right. I don't want to pay for the hydroponic. Cruel. <laughs> <laughs> Our heater is going on currently as we speak, so it's just the fact that we're in the basement. Uh, so do you want to fill us in on what the protest was about? Yeah, no problem. Um, so the protest was based on a film called Unplanned, which I feel like has made a lot of news in both the States as well as in Canada. And so uh, for those who don't know, Unplanned is a film that depicts the journey <laughs> of a Planned Parenthood provider, <gasps> a spokesperson as well. Forget her name, and I don't care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this this person, um, this Planned Parenthood rep, who does I think a lot of the PR stuff for Planned Parenthood, ends up uh, being offered to come into a DNC procedure, which is a early. Well, DNC, or maybe that's later. I'm not sure the technical jargon of it. But basically, she's allowed to come in for an abortion procedure for a 13-week abortion. Um, and during this this witnessing of an abortion, she sees a baby, a baby, not a fetus, people, yeah. fight the suction machine. Because they really, like, depict it like it's, like, this, yeah. like, vacuum that's going to vacuum the baby up. The fetus is fighting and for its, its life. It's re- yeah, it's recoiling from this machine, and it's fighting and trying to resist it, and there's, like, blood coming out, and it's it's very graphic and gory. It's actually really poorly produced. It's something, like, from a The Exorcist, you know, yeah. where <laughs> that's how horrible the graphics are of this. Um, but basically, she can't get over watching this baby fight its way back into like the uterus and like resist this machine. And so she, uh, she ends up becoming um, a a pro-life advocate and quits Planned Parenthood, but they try to like keep her on board and they say it's her job. And so she gets fired from it. She joins, you know, these like pro-life groups or anti-choice groups. I like that term better. And she becomes a huge advocate because she cares about human life. She, especially that one baby's life that she saw get ripped apart. Tragic. Anyways, um, that movie is just a bunch of bullshit, bunch of unscientific rhetoric uh 13 week abortions like the fetus is not developed enough to even have like proper arms and legs it kind of looks like a dinosaur thing if you see pictures of what it looks like (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't look like a human in my opinion it looks like like a could be a human but not quite there yet um and it just doesn't have the cognitive abilities to even understand what is happening because it doesn't have a fully formed brain. Like it might have, it does have a heartbeat. It does have a heart. It does have certain parts, but a lot of it's not formed. So the fact that they depict the scene of it like recoiling and the fact that they depict it fighting is just absolutely untrue. Um, And there's just a lot of other things too. Like they claimed that she was paid to like lie about how the abortion procedure get gets done. But the truth is a lot of the or to perform these procedures. But a lot of what Planned Parenthood actually gets funded from is not abortion providing. It's actually for things like STI checks and um, 
breast cancer examinations, right? So a lot of a lot of that was overlooked in the movie, and they depict Planned Parenthood as this like you know abortion machine, right? So it it, it was not good, um, and so we went to this protest because they decided to show this horrible movie at King's um, King's University, which is a college affiliate of Western. And this, uh, it's called King's College is, or King's University is, it's a Christian based university. And so I guess that's why it was allowed on. Um, but the problem is that it, it's, it's accepting these narratives. It, it was viewed for the general public. Anyone could have came and saw the film and it was advertised. And what that tells me is that the university that I'm attending, which is Western University, accepts things like pro-life and anti-scientific rhetoric. And that's not that's not OK for a research based institution, especially one that gets tons of funding for funding for its prestige of scientific based research. Um, not only that, but the film is really meant to shame and stigmatize women that have actually experienced an abortion. Yeah. It almost depicted women who, who've experienced the abortion as if they were like happy that they're killing babies. Or in some cases, it would depict women as if they would like were vulnerable and didn't actually know that this was like, it was a secret almost that this yeah. was the abortion procedure. Um, and it's just, it's not Okay. And it's really not okay to shame women for the choices that they made because I'm sure a lot of the choices that were made to get the abortion were due to many circumstances. And in some cases, like, it's not just women, it's also gender minorities as well. But it's in some cases, women were sexually assaulted. In some cases, um, women might be pregnant and they might have health complications and have to get an abortion and it's kind of like life or death situation um and in some cases women don't have the financial means to actually take care of a baby and that's or yeah a baby and it, it's not fair for that child as well as the mother um and you know what in some cases women just don't want to have kids and that's okay because we're not reproductive machines we're human beings. And I think that when we spread this kind of rhetoric, it's actually teaching people and women that we're only good for our reproductive abilities rather than our other abilities and things that we contribute into society, which I think is just just not okay and not acceptable. And I mean, there is a lot of women and uh, men and other other genders um, present at this protest that felt the exact same way I think that I felt. And we basically just went to the screening and held up signs. Um, it's also worth noting, just like on that point, that there are trans men that can get pregnant. In, uh, yeah, this is like what that. I'm so, saying yeah, yeah. about gender minorities. Yeah. And I don't mean to keep saying a woman, it's just a force of habit. Yeah. I'm sorry about yeah. that. Um, <laughs> it, it, no, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. It's just, or even yeah. in that case, let's say you're a trans man and you, man and you accidentally get pregnant. Like, I can't imagine the identity issues you would be having, right? With right. that, that... So, of course, you would make, not of course, but maybe you would want to get an abortion because of that situation. Um, and it's your choice to get it if you want it. Exactly. And so it's just about we need to be accepting of all people's choices. And we need to understand that women and other gender minorities are not reproductive machines. Like, that's not why I was born. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so we went to that protest and it was, it was as 
expected. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the good news, like to put it as the good news segment, is that we uh, outnumbered the people that went and saw this thing. They're mostly old people. Most and... people weren't even students. I mean, there was a couple of people who tried to like actually engage at the protest and like try to. It's a really grumpy old woman that <laughs> just did not look happy. <laughs> well, there was one person that came up to the person that I was standing beside and asked them about their sign and was trying to be really nice. And basically through, through that uh, first ask of like, what what's going on with the sign? Can you explain it to me? Then started debating her and was very obviously there for the for the actual film and then the person caught on and was like trying to be nice and polite be like i'm just gonna go with my friends now but the person clearly wanted to debate and try to you know kind of um catch them or like coax them into like getting aggressive or mad at her and that's what a lot of these anti-choice groups do is they try to coax people into getting very angry because they can easily film you or talk about the experience as if like these like pro choice groups are unhinged and that's what happens. <laughs> so I want to end this segment by playing a little clip, which is an interview that I did with Madeline, who is one of the activists and organizers uh, for pro choice London. And uh, she has some awesome things to say and is going to promote some groups that you can check out. And again, the, this is the good news slash proactive side of it. So good news, uh, we outnumbered them, but also proactive. Get involved. Uh, don't let these pro-life people shove their anti-choice rhetoric in people's face. And so go out there. Fight the good fight. Yeah. Hello, I'm here at King's University, which is a satellite campus to Western University in London, Ontario. And I'm with Madeline, who's with Proy. Pro-choice London, and it's cold, so I'm slurring my words. Uh, but Madeline, please tell me uh, what this, what is happening here today, and why we're outside protesting this. Yeah, so right now um, there's a screen happening starting at seven at King's, um, called a movie called Unplanned that you might have heard of. Um, basically, it depicts abortion and abortion providers in some pretty outrageous and non-truthful ways, which is really harmful to our community because there are women and trans people out there who need to get abortions, who it's not fully accessible to, um, who might feel shamed into making a choice that doesn't fit particularly what they need to be doing. And we're just here to stop that, the spread of lies pretty much in London and make sure that um, this is, abortion's a healthcare procedure like any other one. And we want to just normalize it and make people know that it's not a spectacle and not something, this film shouldn't be filmed here. It's propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. So they're not letting us in the building to uh, protest with our signs. Apparently, they're, they're not sure yet whether we can go in without signs. But is this something that happens at Queen and Western Frequency? Like, frequently? Can you tell us about... Uh, what has occurred before at Western? So at Western protests before, um, there hasn't, I've never been in a situation where we haven't been let in the building with our signs. So this is pretty new to me. And I don't like, I don't know the rules, but my gut is telling me that we are allowed in there because <laughs> we pay tuition. Um, but, you know, uh, but to, you know, to respect everyone's safety here, we are staying outside and just in case something happens. But I thought we were evil. <laughs> 
Uh, so to, to finish this up, because it's just going to be a short little thing, uh, is there any causes or groups uh, that people should look out for and, uh, and promote? Uh, yeah, so definitely take a look at Pro-Choice London. We're like an insanely small group of people in London that are really um, just fighting for reproductive justice and accessible um, reproductive health care for everyone. Um, also, please check out the Shore Center that's in Kitchener-Waterloo. Robin Schwartz, the founder of Pro-Choice London, actually works there, and it's an amazing site doing great things through their Choice Connect app um, helping people access abortions um, that are nearest to them um, and also check out um, Action Canada is a really good resource if you google them there's a helpline that if you are experiencing any sort of like like an unexpected pregnancy or something along those lines feel free to look at that helpline and call it and get the information you need Awesome. Robin's going to love that you yeah. name dropped her on our podcast. <laughs> so thanks to, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. Choice! Now! Choice! Now! If you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter. At Imperial News with a Z. I don't know why I said that so aggressive, but you need to be on Twitter. Join the hive mind. We have an Instagram account, <laughs> News Imperial. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. Uh, you can find a link on our Twitter. Lastly, you can email us, email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and make Trump golf again. Mit, 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 it, it's like MAGA, but no one dies. <laughs> Your silence is acceptance. And I approve that. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.